This is Bryn, covering the Pac-12. I'm Mark, I'm covering the Big Ten. And together we make the In and Given Saturday CFB podcast, giving you live up-to-date information, week recap. And welcome and back. This is the In and Given Saturday CFB podcast. I'm Brennan. I'm Mark. And we're coming at you with some hot takes today. We don't care if you're standing. We don't care if you're sitting. We don't care if you're laying down. Just be ready for what's coming at you this episode. We're feeling it. We're enjoying it. The offseason may be a year long because college football may not be happening this fall, but we are coming at you. And, you know, you can reach us at any given Saturday, CFB at gmail.com with your suggestions, comments, uh, shit talking, whatever you so be. Uh, and then you can also follow us on Twitter at NECFB for weekly updates, uh, episode updates, all that. And then we also have a Facebook at Any Given Saturday CFB and an Instagram at Any Given Saturday CFB, which Mark runs. And I don't think I've been updated in months, but I try to update the Twitter at least and uh, keep you updated. Well, so what do you got man, going on, Mark? To see you too. Shit. <laughs> Jesus, just roast me out all the time. Nah, man, I've been good. Just been busy. Uh, trying to kind of sift through all this news that we got going on with all these different Power Five conferences and uh, trying to weed through all the Army stuff that I've been dealing with. And, uh, yeah, it's just been a busy time, man. So, how about you? How you how's school going? How's, uh, how's the girlfriend been? How's, uh, how's all that going for you? Uh, she's doing pretty good. Uh, I think like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, I actually went with her out to Fort Lee where she's going to be doing her bullock at. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm out of breath. One second. Haven't done any cardio in months. <laughs> hey, I just want to say, man, nice shirt. I'm digging it. Wearing the Nebraska shirt. Uh, you know, this is like one of my my nighttime slash work shirts. There you go. Uh, her family got me. But uh, yeah, we went out to Fort Lee, uh, kind of a shithole area. Um, beautiful drive through West Virginia, though. Yeah. That uh, song by John Diver definitely uh, does does it justice. Um, and then before that, we were out at West Point for her graduation. I think we haven't recorded since after that, I don't think. No, I don't think we have. Yeah, I think because you called me, actually, when I was out there. Uh, yeah, yeah I don't you we were, recorded since. No, you were out there... Yeah, you were in New York last time I called you, and I was like, yo, let's let's do this. And you said, oh, I'll give you a call when I get back. And then schedule is just having a line, but it's good to be back, man. It uh, is, man. I the definitely mics missed are, it. are some, some therapeutic. Uh, I had, dude, I had to brush the dust off of mine. <laughs> well, I, I use mine for class, so I kind of. Uh, uh, is your is your classes still online? Oh, yeah. Uh, summer, I'm taking summer school right now. And uh-huh. so that that was already online before the spring ended. Uh, and uh, in the fall, I think we're going to be in person with masks on, though. But I don't know. K-State's been under a, quite a bit of uh, heat the past couple of months. So I'll tell you that much. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the big news. I think the, uh, the elephant in the room, let's get it out there, is that uh, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are kind of leading. You know, it, it's kind of kind of cool that it's the two conferences we cover. And they're the two conferences that are kind of leading the uh, leading the way in college football of a conference-only schedule for 2020. Um, the Big Ten was the first one to do it. They said they're going to adopt a 10-game conference schedule, and then the Pac-12 mirrored it, uh, I want to say, about 24 hours later. Yeah, it was 24 hours later they adopted the, the conference-only schedule, uh, which in the Big Ten – Eliminated some some key non-conference games. Um, Michigan, Washington got canceled. Oregon, Ohio State, which I was really excited for, and then Notre Dame, Wisconsin. I was supposed to be at Lambeau Field. Uh, definitely got taken out. Uh, Notre Dame is definitely kind of like the talk of college football right now. Of if all these conferences, especially the Power Five conferences, take away non-conference games, what's Notre Dame gonna do? Yeah, the biggest um, thing with that is. Uh USC has had a rivalry with Notre Dame for the ages now, and uh, if they yeah. they're going to conference only, which eliminates that game altogether. Yeah. I think the first time ever in the whole rivalry era that they've had together that they will not play each other for a season. But um, I have hope that you know if one if there's one out of conference game that USC is going to keep out of uh, I think it's New Mexico. 
State, Alabama, and Notre Dame. I'm hoping they keep uh, Notre Dame because that would be well, a uh, tradition to keep going. Yeah, so I think that the uh, what they're looking at with Notre Dame specifically just – you know, because I've been really interested in this and reading a bunch of articles and listening to a few like big time podcasts about what is Notre Dame going to do? How are they going to fare? Is that basically this is going to for, force Notre Dame's hand at a joining a conference? And I think all roads lead to the ACC um, for Notre Dame to join into them because I think they have six games scheduled on the ACC schedule with Notre Dame. So. Yeah, I they, think it's really uh, going to finally force our hands to finally get into a conference, stop being a bullshit independent, and just I don't think they'll join be in a conference. conference. I do. I mean, they've done they, it in every other sport except for football. The um, the ACC is is like what they partnered with, though, well, especially with like their television deals and stuff like that. So that's like the conference that they've kind of always been with. But yeah. um, I just don't see them moving that way in in, in football because uh. Uh, they're just an independent. That's how they've always been known. Well, I mean, th- those type of things are meant to, to uh, you know, be changed. You know, college football is always changing. You know, we've always had non-conference games, you know, quote-unquote cupcake games for uh, – uh, sorry, dude, this guy looks freaking nuts right now. Um, you know, it's always been – you always have like your cupcake game, and then you have a big non-conference game. You have another cupcake game, then you go into conference play. Now, I personally, my take on this is I'm in favor of it because the Big Ten, when they moved to a, a non, no non-conference schedules, 43 games were canceled, and across the, the entire conference, and only three games. I think anybody outside of myself that's a big, big Big Ten fan or a big Husker fan would have really cared about. And those are the three games that I mentioned was Michigan, Washington, Oregon, Ohio State, and Notre Dame, Wisconsin. You know, the other 39 games, no one gave a shit about. Like, outside of Husker fans, nobody's going to watch Cincinnati play Nebraska Memorial Stadium. Nobody's going to watch that. Nobody's going to watch Indiana and Missouri State. So I'm favor for it because these 10 games – you know, every game in college football, I think that's what makes college football special is every game is important, but now it only amplifies those games to even a higher level that you have 10 games. You go 9-1, and one, you're not making the playoff. You have to go 10-0. and 0. You have to win every single game in your conference. And now this is going to force the hand of teams like Alabama and LSU to finally play a real schedule if the SEC gets rid of, like, the Temple and Citadels in November. Yeah, I mean – I agree with you, but I think the outside of the fan aspect, I think the biggest thing you got to look at is uh, the buyouts that these teams are going to have to pay to all these schools for counseling the game. And that that's like a whole other issue that needs to get dove into by the NCAA and uh, well, yeah, I mean, schools and stuff th- like that because that's a lot of money that they're going to have to pay just because they're being forced to cancel the game by the commissioner. Well, I mean, so just an example, Nebraska Cincinnati. We have a we have a home and home series with them. And we were slated to pay Cincinnati four hundred thousand dollars for them to come. And then we paid them, I think, like three hundred thousand to go there and play. And so that's seven hundred thousand dollars the university is missing out on for the games plus the revenue from the ticket sales, but the buyout is one point four million dollars. Exactly. Yeah, the, the buyouts so, are ridiculous. Yeah, you know, this means that the University of Nebraska is going to have to pay Cincinnati $1.5 million. Is that Nebraska's fault? No, that's the conference's fault, and that's why I'm still in favor. You know, the NCAA put out a they put out a message to the fall athletes saying that, like, hey, we're here to assist, and good luck. And it's up, basically it's up to the conferences. Now, the conferences are dictating, so the, the Big Ten commissioner, or whatever he's called, chancellor, I think is what it's called, um, he said conference only. So does that mean that the actual conference itself is paying these buyouts or is the schools paying these buyouts? No, the school's got to pay them. So how is, how is that on the responsibility of the university that's already that's losing out on revenue? This is, a, a, this is a huge issue that's not being it's, looked it's at. It's a giant issue. And it's, you know, because college football, nine, nine programs out of 10 out of any conference, 90% of programs, college football is their moneymaker. Now you have some schools like Duke where basketball is their moneymaker or, 
You have schools such as uh, even Kansas, where basketball is a bigger moneymaker than football. But, you know, nine times out of ten, football is a moneymaker for the university. It pays for pretty much all the other athletic programs to, to go on in a university. And now you're taking not only money away because they have to pay all these buyouts to these cupcake-ass teams that they're just going to beat the ever-loving shit out of to get ready to play their conference schedules. Now they have to pay for that, plus play a grueling 10-game schedule with no fans in the stands, no revenue. This, what I'm afraid of, like, I'm in favor of the schedule because I think it's going to make interesting football. It's going to make interesting TV. It's going to make some hot takes over 10 games. But I think it's going to be ultimately detrimental to the universities that not only do they have to pay all these buyouts because you're afraid to play a team from Ohio when you're going to go play Ohio State later on in the season – Again, I'm referencing Nebraska-Cincinnati. But now you have to pay all this money, plus you're not going to have ticket sales, plus you're not going to have concessions, parking. Um, The only money you're going to get is from TV deals. And you know TV deals are going to take advantage of that and start lowering the numbers because that's the only way they can make money, and that's capitalism at its greatest is you know supply and demand. So I I think it's going to be a huge issue to college football in general and college athletics in general. Now, I think these professional, like the Major League Baseballs, National Basketball, NFL, MLS, MLB, all them guys, they're going to be fine because they still have money coming in from people purchasing jerseys and, um, you know, the Sunday ticket or league pass and stuff like that. But I think college athletics are going to take a huge hit from this decision from these conferences. And the other, yeah, it's, uh, the other three power fives are just going to follow. Because you got two that do it, the other three are gonna follow. Yeah, it's it, it. That's like I I keep saying. That's just something that needs to be uh, dove into by these conferences and commissioners and all that, and how these buyouts are gonna work if they're gonna do if they're gonna work at all. And if if anything, maybe they just give them an IOU, and then two years down the line, when they start getting their football seasons back and everything, they they buy just them res- out. Either but that, I, or you just reschedule the games. Yeah, but the, a lot of the times the teams that they're they're paying to come in there are like the FCS teams, or like the lower group of five teams that don't really make much revenue off sports anyways. So the way they're making money is these million-dollar games where they go in there and just get paid to get the shit beat out of them. So if they're not having that money come in, then you're hurting them in the long run. It's a, it's a very economically uh, interesting uh, problem, but – you know, the NCAA isn't really going to do anything about it because there's no one in the NCAA that's in charge of college football. It's just the NCAA committee. They're really the only people that can come in and say anything are the college football playoff committee. But even then, all they're going to do is govern how the playoff is going to work, if it's going to have one, what the rules are to be to get into it and stuff like that. So it's going to be a uh, a very interesting month, I would say, because once – a month from now, once the middle of August hits and stuff like that, it's going to be really interesting to see where we're at. But, I mean, like we talked about before we got on here, the uh, first major trial for the coronavirus vaccine did well. So maybe what? Bill Gates will put trackers in us and we'll uh, have college football. Oh, my God. No, I think, I think you know, with the virus and, you know, this preliminary – antibody thing that's coming out right now that you know it's it's working and it's creating antibodies and and COVID-19 patients that's great the NFL is also I don't know if you saw this uh, on Twitter or you know wherever you're at um, that now they're putting face masks in the helmets and you know they're trying to litigate a lot of these issues that it's going to be interesting, and I think the NFL, or not even the NFL, I think the Major League Baseball and the NBA and the MLS and NHL are kind of going to be like the guinea pigs right now. And I think college football, the NFL, are going to be paying close attention to how these four sports are operating because they all have four different types of um, operating. You know, MLB, they're operating as normal operations. They're just not putting people in the stands, and they're getting tested. The NBA, they put them in a biodome. And said, if you leave this to even get your food from Postmates, we're going to quarantine you again for 10 days. And then MLS, they went to one central location. And uh, they're just playing a tournament. And NHL is going business as usual and playing in home stands. So 
it's four different operating techniques and i think college football and the nfl are really going to pay close attention to how this pans out and if COVID 19 really kind of takes off in one of these camps and it's going to shut down sports again you know golf has went on fantastically um nascar has has kicked off and they've they've ran about 13 races and they've only had one driver test positive and that was jimmy johnson so I don't know, man. I, I'm hoping for a college football season, but I'm not optimistic about it. I, I don't. I don't think college football is going to happen. To be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I think the only way at this point in time where we get a normal season is if this coronavirus vaccine somehow fast tracks way ahead of what it's naturally supposed to do, and they end up just giving it to all the students. And that, I think that's the only way we get a season is if, and, if something like that happens. But then they talked about moving it to the spring. Well, the spring has so many more issues with it than, yeah. than playing in the fall because you got to think of this. You got early enrollees. They come in the spring. So what are you going to do with them? You got to redshirt them that season and then end up wasting a redshirt season that you would have for the next season on this year's season. So it's how to, huge. Here's the other question, and I've actually tried to research this for a little bit, and I can't find an answer. Maybe you have an answer or a take on it. Is you know the red shirt rule in college football is is that, that if you're red shirted, you can play in four football games. Yeah. Um, now that it went down to ten games, are they taking that red shirt rule away? Because you could have a team like perfect example of you know the, the Huskers last year had Luke McCaffrey. Luke McCaffrey was red shirted, and we were able to play him in four games last year. Now, what if you're 6-0 and and you have this all-star, five-star recruit that you want to get in there, and then you play him for four games? So now you're playing him for half your season, and then you can hit it at 10-0 and and go play for the conference and the title game without him. But he gets you over that hump of like a stretch like what we have is where we have Ohio State, Minnesota, and um, Wisconsin, and Iowa. You know, we put in Luke McCaffrey saying he – kills it and then we have adrian martinez take us through conference in the national championship game so are those rules going to change no i don't if the ncaa hasn't come out yet with anything i don't think they're going to come out with anything about that at all because you get your one red shirt as a you get your red shirt and then you also have a gray shirt for if you have a an injury or something like that that yeah medical red shirt yeah yeah which is your your gray shirt so I don't think that the if the NCAA hasn't come out yet and said anything about this college football season or any of the rules or stuff like that, they're not going to come out and change that by any means. But I, I see. But how can they come out now? How can they come out now? Because you only have two out of the Power Five conferences that have committed to a ten-game schedule. So if you were the NCAA and you're you're supposed to be this overall governing body of college athletics, and you have two of your Power Five conferences, so not. I don't even know the percentage. I think it's like, what, 40% at that point? You have 40% of your colleges saying, we're going to play 10 games. The other 60% saying, no, we're still committed to our full 12-game schedule, and we want to play the out-of-conference games. So what is that? Like how – I don't even know, and this is why I'm probably in the Army and not governing on the NCAA, is, you know, you have all these teams that say they want to play non-conference, but somebody like Oregon – per se, Oregon says we still want to play the full, you know, in the Pac-12, we want to play the full 12-game schedule, but uh, who, who are they supposed to play? Uh, Ohio State said, well, we're in the Big Ten, and the Big Ten said we're only playing 10 games. No, out of conference, sorry, I can't come out and play tonight. So that leaves Oregon with the non-schedule. Now they got to try and schedule somebody else. So there's just a lot of issues going on that I see a lot of questions not being answered. And this is why I don't have a lot of faith in college football this year. Yeah, like I, like I was trying to say before you rudely interrupted me, I don't think that the uh, You're welcome. The NCAA has faith in a college football season happening because otherwise they would have came out and uh, said something or put some guidelines out or something. But, I mean, like I said, there's no person that's in charge of college football. It's just – the NCA is in charge of every single NCA athletic program that it embodies. And you have so many different uh, divisions and teams and stuff like that within it that it's hard to 
to regulate. Oh, hey, uh, yeah, the state of New York, you're going to be playing no matter what your, your government says. It's just there's too many factors that go into this, and it's just this whole pandemic is going longer than it should. And I, I think, like I said, I think that there's not going to be a uh, college football season at all. But I also – People can talk about the spring, but the spring has more issues than the fall does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the spring, you'd be able to keep your out-of-conference games, but you'd also have to deal with the whole recruiting aspect and recruiting class. And then you also have to deal with what are your juniors and seniors going to do for the NFL draft. I just think uh, I just think there's too many problems that are going on, and no one's coming out and giving it definite answers, but... Uh, should be pretty interesting. Um, you want to keep going with this? Or you want to switch it up? I mean, like I said, man, the only thing I'm afraid of is, you know, I I love college football. College football is literally like my lifeblood in the, in the fall, and I already have experienced. You know, anybody that knows me outside of this podcast is. Um, baseball is my football. I love Major League Baseball. Um, I love Diamondbacks baseball, and it has killed me for the past four months that I've been able to watch baseball. I can't imagine not being able to watch football too. But what I'm afraid of, like we we keep hammering, is that I'm not optimistic. I'm calling it right now. I don't believe there's going to be a college football season. I really don't. So I – I don't mind getting on to getting on to another topic, but I mean at this point, I I just really felt like that was kind of the elephant in the room at this point that all these conferences are going to end up in a 10 game schedule. There's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to get canceled and there's going to be one college, one Power 5 school that says we're not playing and it's going to be a domino effect from there. Yeah, it's there's just a lot of problems that are going on right now, and it's it's hard to to give it a right answer to any of it because we don't know what's going on, and no one's ever been faced with anything like this. Because I doubt anyone in the NCAA's was around in 1918 or 1919, whenever the oh the Spanish, uh, the Spanish flu flu was yeah. around. So very interesting times. Um, be interesting to see how this comes out, but. Uh, Something I, I was looking at over the past couple months, uh, JT Daniels, the uh, former five-star QB out of USC that <coughs> – uh, excuse me, got to get down my throat. Um, that transferred to Georgia, uh, just got granted immediate eligibility uh, yesterday or the day before from the NCAA. Yep. Um, pretty interesting. Uh, should be – Interesting to see how the Georgia QB competition goes because they have some pretty uh, pretty big dogs out there. I think that we're going to start seeing a lot of that, especially with this COVID-19, is we're going to see a lot of like extra year of eligibility is getting granted along with immediate eligibility grants that I think the NCAA is, is going to understand the pandemic and understand what's going on in the world that they're going to say, hey, if we play, you play. If we don't play, just kind of chill out and we'll give you another year because the other thing that I don't think a lot of people are talking about and actually uh, one of my buddies shared it on Facebook is that what's going to happen is, is high school sports are going to get canceled. People are going to lose their love for the game and we're going to be at a really talent deficit in a few years because people are going to lose their passion for the game and they're going to end up finding something else that they're passionate about or they're going to go to, you know, they're going to go to school and be nerds and be doctors and lawyers and stuff. So uh, I, that's, that's the part that scares me about COVID-19. I, don't, is I, don't, I the think, kids. yes, high school sports have a chance to be canceled this year, but I don't think that changes anyone's love for the game. Cause if you're a high rated recruit, you're there because you're driven and you're constantly working on your craft. So I'm not, not, I'm not talking about the seniors, man. I'm talking about the freshmen, the eighth graders. 
You know, the ones uh, that are I still don't. trying to develop their love for the game. I don't see that really changing much, to be honest with you. I mean, so she, it, once once the pay to play starts happening, you're gonna see a lot more people trying to work on their craft more and more to get to those universities and states and stuff like that that are actually gonna pay them pretty well to just go there. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I can see that happening with the senior class. I can see a, a huge shakeup in recruit recruitment just for the fact that these kids aren't gonna play their senior year, and so. They're either going to spend this whole year training or they're going to spend this whole year getting fat and just not being in the same shape they were because they're a, a highly rated four star, uh, a three star on on about to hit four, four about to hit five or five star. And so they think they're already good, but they're not going to keep working on the craft. Um, but if you just uh, going back to our first topic about uh college football happening this this fall or even this year at all just make sure you stay up to date on our on our uh twitter on any cfb i manage that um i haven't been keeping up with it too well but i, I work on it you know <laughs> uh, like i said we do weekly updates on it and then our facebook at any given saturday cfb uh all of our uh episodes and everything are always posted on our twitter and our uh facebook i make sure to go on there and tweet everything and uh, repost everything. And then also we got Instagram, which I think only has like one or two posts on it that uh, Mark manages. He also manages the uh, Facebook for the most part. Yep. So if you got any suggestions, any comments, like I said, any shit talking, if you want to come on the <laughs> air with us, you're more than welcome. Just give us an email at any given Saturday CFB at gmail.com. We're with the modern times nowadays at the Gmail. Uh, we're not in the olden times of the AOL and the Yahoo's like me. So <laughs> feel free to hit us up on there. Uh, if you got any, like I said, any, anything you got to say, email us, tweet us, message us on Facebook. Uh, Slide into DM. our DMs on Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. Whatever you feel like, just go on there. But uh, yeah, going back to the uh, the show now, uh, like I said, I, I think – the biggest problem is the recruitment is going to hit a stalemate in a sense with the uh, the seniors this year. And then you have uh, not only football, but you have basketball where kids can actually go straight into the G League for uh, the NBA Yep. and make money right off the bat. And I think it's just going to be a, uh, a giant shit show if this COVID uh, scenario isn't handled or at least toned down before these major sports start. Um, I think in California, I think the LA school district is uh, going all online for K through 12. So it should be pretty interesting. They produce a lot of talent out of that area. Um, But like I said, you're either gonna get kids, just like the army, you know, you're gonna get that person that promotes fast and continues to to be ahead of their peers, or you're gonna get that person that uh, gets promoted and they just are happy with staying at that rank so they don't continue to progress or try to work on themselves yeah i i think i think a lot of the issues um just in sports in general um like i said earlier it's gonna weigh heavily on what how the nba operates how major league baseball operates and how how like people in, in the higher ups that make these decisions of whether sports are going to be played or not kind of see how they move forward. Because I think it's something in, in just everyday American life. There's something about being able to sit down after your busy day at work, whether you're in the military or, you know, you're, you work a nine to five job or you're an electrician or HVAC technician, whatever you do in life. There's just some kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, there's just something about coming home, cracking a beer, and watching a baseball game in the summer, or watching a football game in the fall on a I'm Saturday a morning. Kind of guy, you know. I it's definitely something that's missing from the American way of life right now, and it's something that's hit pretty close to home to me because you know I've grown up with around sports, I've grown up watching them, playing them, um, just 
overall just enjoying being around sports and just paying attention to people I look up to or people that I consider peers playing playing the game of football or basketball or baseball or whatever whatever sport tickles your fancy that uh it's definitely something that America needs to get back to and I'm super excited that in eight days I get to watch America's pastime again um on Friday my Diamondbacks take on the Dodgers we're gonna beat the ever-loving shit out of them so I'm excited about that but you know back to the original topic is I think for college football to happen, there has to be some significant headway in the COVID-19 pandemic. And unfortunately right now, you know, we hit a valley back in June and everyone's like, Hey, let's open back up. Let's start getting back to, let's start getting back to work. Let's start getting back to our normal way of life. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're back in a peak, you know, everything's starting to rear its head again. Everything's starting to get shut back down. And I don't, I don't really like to bring politics into it as much as uh, other people in in the life, but I'll be definitely interested to see the reactions from, you know, the American government and then from just sports in general after the elections in November. I'll be definitely interested to see how the reactions to COVID-19 change because uh, I think that definitely does play a part in everything. But we won't get into that. This isn't a political podcast, but... That's just my take on it, and I I don't see any big-time sports like college football or the NFL happening until, honestly, until after November, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, we've pretty much beaten a dead horse here, and we still got months to go before we, uh, well, I'd say at least We got five weeks. We have five weeks until college football is supposed to kick off. Yeah, but, I mean, most schools have had their players report already, um, and uh, start workouts to some degree. So that's at least a, a sign that schools are moving forward with it. But it, I mean, I mean, the conference but, is the ultimate. I mean, on that news, I mean, Northwestern shut down operations. Um, Ohio State did too. Ohio State shut down operations. You know, they got back to practices, and then all of a sudden they had like five or six players test positive, and they completely shut down. So that's what I see happening is because – in other sports, it's pretty easy. You know, basketball, you put them in a bubble. Um, Major League Baseball, you put them in a bubble because that's their job. College college football, you know, these kids still got to make a living. You know, these kids still got to go to work. These kids still have to yeah, go I to school. Yeah, with I a, work with a couple of dudes that play uh, college football for the, uh, what is it, the NIA, the one that's like the Midwestern com- uh, yeah. version of the NCAA. Yeah. They play for that, and he. I mean, they still gotta, like I said, they still gotta work, and they still gotta make money because they're not making much money playing the, in the, ver- the version of the league that they're playing in, and. Uh, <clears throat> but I mean, I think the the biggest thing I kind of saw that I thought was pretty interesting on Twitter was, um, they talked about, Army and Navy, being yeah, possibly the only football game that happens this year. Because service academies are held to a way higher standard and way different standard than any other university, because they can actually refine and restrict their yeah. their uh, their students to what they want. Well, they they can, they can them under UCMJ too. Exactly, they can they can tell those players to do anything they want, and if they say like, "Well, I'm not going to follow it," like, "Cool, now you're going to pay me for the last three years of school that you just went through." Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean the Navy. The Navy athletic director said that that's the game he wants to preserve. He said he doesn't care if they play another, any other football game in the world, but the Army Navy game will happen. So, if that's the only college football game that happens, I mean, cool. I mean, I'm always interested in the Army Navy game. We'll have hopefully Big Joe on again for that game. But um, is he still with you? Not, no, he went over to uh, the BSB unit, but. Uh, you know, I mean, it is what it is, though, man. Like, I I really don't see college football kicking off. You know, like I, like we said, we're, we're beating a dead horse at this point. Um, but it's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Something that definitely needs to be talked about because the more noise we make about fans, and you know, as as long as the the kids are healthy, you know, if us as fans make enough noise, college football will happen. But if we just sit back and let it happen, then. You know, college football is just not going to kick off, and we're going to be stuck sitting here watching boring ass NFL, and we're not going to be able to see the pageantry of college football. 
Yeah, it's uh, like I say, if there if there was one college football game to play this year, Army Navy would probably be one of the top rated ones to to be played. I think throughout college football nation, just because it has such a unique rivalry and history to it that yeah, um, I think no matter what team you root for, that you can always root for that Army Navy game because it's just fun to watch and fun to see all the cadets and midshipmen out there having forced school spirit playing <laughs> the game it's just you can't beat it and like i said no. uh those those service academies are held hold their uh students to such a way different standard than any other school that you can see that being the possibility where the only game that is played is army navy um i'd be about it yeah i think i think like i said i think most people in college football are supportive of at least that game you know because Every other game, you know, like like if if Oregon State wasn't to not play a game, I wouldn't give a hoot, you know. Exactly. But uh, I think everyone can all like I like keep saying everyone can root for Army Navy, and then uh, <clears throat> I know you had mentioned some news about um, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to go into that. Yeah, so uh, University of Nebraska, not only um, – so you kind of mentioned it earlier about the pay-to-play. Um, there's been some reports coming out that Nebraska is fully supportive of it. Um, basically, that players can profit off their likeness, off of uh, what they – you know, basically just like profit off like their socials and, you know, appearances and advertisements and stuff like that as long as they use the school. Nebraska's fully supportive of it, and there's reports coming out right now that Adrian Martinez is projected to make six figures. So I think that's another reason why Nebraska is so big on getting this season kicked off is so that, you know, these players that, you know, in the state of Nebraska are treated to a whole lot different. I would compare it to being like in the state of Alabama or um, – I'd really say that's really it. Alabama and Nebraska is, you know, that's all we got. So, you know, these kids, you know, they want to get on with the season and they want to get on with their lives so they can start making money and, you know, feel like get what they deserve. So that was big news coming out is that Nebraska is going to fully support the uh, pay-to-play and that they can profit. They just can't use the university. Uh, The other big thing is that as of right now, Nebraska has 14 wide receivers on our schedule. Um and a lot of people have been asking the question of why is Nebraska going after all of these huge wide receivers? You know, we got uh, the Juco kid. He's like 6'6", 260 or something like that. Just huge, huge guy. And uh, we got a new coordinator um, out there at the University of Nebraska. And Coach Lubbock. Matt Lubbock is his name. He was a wide receiver coach and co-offensive coordinator out at Washington. Um, and then Nebraska hired him on, and he basically said that if you watch Nebraska football, actually we did a lot of swing passes, a lot of dunks, uh, a lot of dunk and deke kind of offense. And uh, the reason is because they want to go more vertical with it. They want to utilize Adrian Martinez's uh, his versatility and his uh, – just like his his powerful arm because he does he has like a Patrick Mahomes style arm, so so the the actually the highest uh, paid athlete if they were going to pay to play across the NCA would be Cole Anthony at the, out of the University of North Carolina uh, basketball and his endorsement potential would be around four hundred seventy six k, um, but and then it also kind of varies because. Uh, Um, it's got like other, uh, like it says here, like Joe Burrow could have made up around $700,000, uh, just for his year. But then the highest paid football, uh, athlete that could have the, like one of the biggest endorsements is Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson with 390,000. Uh, and then that's pretty much it. Not too many football players on here. Mainly uh, Olympic sports and basketball, for the most part, that they've kind of estimated off of a formula that they've been uh, using based up uh, based upon professional athletes and how their endorsements and stuff like that work. 
So, I mean, no matter what, there's a huge market out there for these guys to uh, make. But the last six-figure football player is Justin Fields uh, at Ohio State University with 300000 And then from then on, uh, there's nobody from football. It's Like I said, it's just all basketball and Olympic sports. Um, but those are pretty much your six-figure from their formula, uh, yearly endorsement uh, players. Okay, I like I said, but I mean, things can always change. Yeah, because I, I just I don't see, I don't see it, this being a bad thing for the universities, and I know there's a lot of purists and a lot of NFL or NCAA purists out there that want to keep amateur status for these college athletes, but. I think South Park said it best when they said that student athletes are slaves because, I mean, they are. I mean, universities are profiting millions of dollars off these kids every Saturday, and these kids are going home and eating ramen noodles and uh, in their dorms with literally just their books because they can't afford anything because they devote their whole entire life to college football. So yeah, I definitely then, uh, agree with it. Oh, crap. I just messed that up. So... I'll put this in perspective for you. So the money revenue for the NCAA is higher than most major sports, and yet athletes don't see it. The NCAA made about $7.6 billion with only 3% of its schools in 2018, uh, according to an article by Harris in 2019. Um, with that being said, 2015, the most profitable athletic departments were Texas A&M University of Te- and University of Texas which brought in separately $192 million and $183 million. In total, there was 22 other athletic departments with over $100 million in profit and yeah. re- revenue. Um, and then to break it down per athlete, the money spent on Power 5 athletes, scholarships, and coaches compares as the students get $936 million spent for 45,000 student athletes which equates to roughly about $20,800 per athlete. And now that's saying that those athletes are getting full-ride scholarships because mm-hmm. we all know that the percentage of athletes that have full-ride scholarships is very small. Yep. Most of them are having to pay out of pocket for something, whereas coaches have $1.2 billion spent for 4,400 coaches, which equates to roughly about $227,272. Um Ridiculous. Just to put that in perspective on how much money these athletes bring in and how much money is actually being spent back towards them and how much is actually being spent on everything around them to fill the big guys' pockets. I I don't know, man. It's always been a touchy subject with me because I see how much money college football brings in. But then you also got to look at that's all going to the athletic department and there's there's so many other sports that colleges participate in. I think Nebraska participates in like 37, 30, 36, 37 different athletic well, um, the, things the in, thing. the, in across the university that college football pays for it. Yeah, but the other thing too is the athletes are paying an athletic fee at most universities, which – uh, ranges anywhere from like a hundred dollars to five hundred dollars uh, per year. So it's not like the college athletes aren't repaying any money. They're paying. Most universities have, like I said, have the athletic fee that they charge their student athletes, which makes them pay back some of what they're earning. Now, granted, it doesn't pay back everything, but you also got to think that, like we said, like I said before, a lot of these athletes aren't even receiving full ride scholarships. Right. So they're they're not really taking up that much space. It's everyone in the athletic department and the school that's taking up a lot of that profit from these student athletes. So. Yeah, I, it is what it is. But um, any and uh, I, in like a state like Nebraska would be, honestly be perfect for that. Because it literally has no competition in the state itself for college athletes to be paid. So I I honestly think that's an awesome thing because it'll show how much an athlete can actually make off of it. 
Whereas, like, if you go to California, Texas, uh, Florida, you have so many universities out there that there's a huge competition on how much uh, they'll be able to make. But if you got, like, a school like Nebraska, there's only one university there that's worth a damn, and that's the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So it'll show – it should give the NCAA an idea how much money a fair amount is for an athlete because – they're not going to have other businesses trying to swindle them to another college in Nebraska. It's just going to be straight UNL. Whereas, like in, like I said, California, Texas, and Florida, you have so many Division One athletes out there in schools yeah. that each school is going to be like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get a sponsorship for you for a million dollars and stuff like that. And I, I just think that, like I said, I think Nebraska is the perfect one because they're not going to have – yeah, they'll have swindlers and stuff like that from the lower – uh, division three and division two and all that, well, but it's gotta, not going to be anything like a division one competition. No, I mean, and the only competition Nebraska would have uh, by any means is, is Creighton university. And, and that's just in basketball. Yeah. That's just basketball and, and baseball. Uh, Creighton baseball is pretty good, but, um, you know, as far as football, no, Nebraska would have a monopoly even in that region. Um, because you, you start talking about money you start about finances, you're going to start poaching kids from South Dakota and even Kansas because Kansas has, you know, they have the Chiefs, they have the Royals, and, um, you know, they have professional sports down there, but Nebraska's got nothing. Nebraska has the University of Nebraska, and it's its own professional team um, in the eyes of a lot of kids in Nebraska. So I think when you start talking about profiting off of your name and start profiting even off the university, if the university – you know, a couple of years down the road, we start talking about contracts. Um, I definitely think Nebraska is going to be one of the forerunners of that movement because California has been the forerunner. But I think once you start talking about just the desire to win, I think Nebraska is really going to get behind the, anything to get themselves out in front and be a front runner because we want to get back to our glory days that we were in the 90s. So I think. Uh I think the other thing too would be, uh, man, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, well, once you get back on the choo choo, we'll get there. But um, yeah, let's let's throw it over, man. What so what what's coming out of USC out of the Pac-12, man? So what what news you got coming out of the out of the Trojan area of life? Uh, so so far they just initiated phase three, um, Monday. So that pretty much means that all athletes from out of state um, are reporting back. And uh, so far, USC has only had, I think, two, excuse me, two or three positive uh, COVID-19 tests out of all of their athletes that they've returned, not just football, but every other sport too. Um, so that's on the up and up. And then also the uh, mayor of L.A., just announced that the only thing that they're allowing is outside workouts so they've had a during the last couple of weeks they've had to find a way to move most of their gym equipment um, outside and try to formulate uh, workstations and stuff like that so the players can actually get some workouts in um, and then across the way at UCLA uh, for many of you that don't follow the Pac-12 the Under Armour deal that they signed um, is trying to be relinquished under armor trying forfeiture uh as much of those payments as they can and pretty much just be done with the deal um so i a lot of craziness going on in la right now um but it should be uh pretty interesting and it's actually pretty awesome with how uh at least with the usc how these athletic departments are kind of handling everything and uh managing the the crisis that's going on around them uh, but I mean, if there's no, there's no season this fall, I don't really see the need for them to continue to try to pressure the workouts and stuff like that. Um, and then heading up to Oregon, they've been uh, on a hot streak the past couple of weeks, past month with, uh, picking up high rated recruits. Um, they are surging to the top five, uh, according to 24, seven sports.com. And then, uh, Let's see what else. Washington State, haven't really heard much about them. Uh, I've been pretty busy though, so I haven't really been able to follow too much. But um, 
I'm I'm really excited for Washington State with uh, with Rolovich and seeing how he can recruit in-state talent. Something that Mike Leach really couldn't do, and uh, keeping them up there. And then uh, let's see who else we got. Colorado, uh, still being Colorado. Actually, shout out to uh, the Buffs podcast that followed us on Twitter. Uh, made me feel pretty important that we got to follow from another podcast. Mm-hmm. And then. Uh, yeah, I just so I, I think everyone is is pretty much just floating in the end in the air right now because no one knows what's going to happen. So I um there's there's one more thing I want to hit on before before we sign off tonight um, is I read an interesting article and I just confirmed it there, there there's a website and I'm gonna plug them they're not paying us it's actually a website I actually enjoy love going to a lot of the time. It's called CoachesHotSeat.com, and they rank the uh, the top thirty hot seats for NCAA head coaches uh, across all conferences, even even uh, Group Five conferences. Hot seat number one: Clay Helton at USC, and then yeah, it's hot seat number six. Now this is, is I think we can both agree Clay Helton is hundred percent on the hot seat. This dude, if he doesn't perform this year, he's gone. But this nah, this intrigued me. Hot seat number six, number 10, and number 21. Number six is Scott Frost at Nebraska. Number 10 is Chip Kelly at UCLA. And number 21 is Lovey Smith at Illinois. Like the, the, These guys uh, are basically saying these dudes are in jeopardy of losing their job. And Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, understandable. The dude won one yeah, game that, or two games last year. I think they won one. I think they won that, yeah. uh, that bullshit game. But – uh, and then Les Miles Clay at Hunt. Kansas at He's, 28. Well, we don't cover the Big 12. Uh, but um, with Clay Helton, he's been a, in the top three hot seat the last three years. And I would argue that he was in the number one spot last year. And he still hasn't gone. He has, like, the deal that any coach would dream of having. And that's why he's still around because his buyout is absolutely ridiculous. Which I would imagine is the same as Chip Kelly because his contract was massive to pull him in. That's why I don't think those two guys will leave, especially during a time like this where you're not going to make much money this year and you're going to have to pay a bunch of money because you're either going to have to pay those games that you canceled or you're going to have to pay the buyout for the teams that you're, or for the coaches that you're firing. So that covers those two. Lovey Smith, I don't think Illinois would ever, I, I think they, they could get rid of him. Uh, I think he just needs to work on that recruiting, but I think it's just so hard to recruit at the University of Illinois compared to the rest of the Big Ten. It's like comparing Rutgers recruiting to the same as Ohio State's recruiting. It's hard to recruit in those small areas because you have other big-name schools that are coming for you. Now, should he recruit better than going into the the portal and trying to get uh, graduates who are immediately eligible? Yes, he needs to work on doing that. But I think the season he had last year, you couldn't really argue much against him. No. Um, so I, I don't know. I have a, kind of like a feel-good spot for him. Uh, who was another one you said? So Scott Frost in Nebraska at number six. I've argued that already. I've yeah. argued that plenty of times with you, and you still get mad at me about it. But I think he – I don't think he should be number six. I think he should be in the top – 15 but i don't think he should be number six he should be around 11 or 10 um because it's like the jim harbaugh uh scenario pretty much he's the golden boy uh jim harbaugh has had way more time with his teams than frost has had with with nebraska but there was just so much hype coming into frost coming into nebraska with frost because of what he did with ucf that i think uh it over his uh, expectation was way too high, and it's just kind of drooling down. Do I think this year could be a pretty solid year for them? Yes, because he's in his third year, so he's he's had his recruits for at least two years from that first class. This is this should be the beginning of his make and break, not the make or break, but the beginning of it. I think if he were if there's a season this year and he does bad, I think he's in the top five next year, 100 percent. But I think this year you still gotta give them that out of the top ten, top ten, top eleven. All right, so here here's my argument 
argument against it and why I mean I, I'm trying to stay away from the fanboy part of me that just I, I really do believe in Scott Frost. But you look at it just from a completely outside perspective is that at the University of Nebraska, it's not a top-tier school anymore. Um, should we be making bowl games every year? Absolutely. I still think we're a blue-blood program, you know, up there with, like, Texas and USC. On and Nebraska, Nebraska, those blue bloods will always be blue bloods. Unless exactly. They just so, you know, going five and seven and four and eight is definitely unacceptable, but – you fire Scott Frost. If you're saying he's on hot seat number six, so at that point you're you're saying if he goes, we even go with the ten game. If he goes four and six, even five and five, that he's in danger of losing his job. You fire Scott Frost. Who's going to come to Nebraska? You literally brought the golden boy home. You brought the hottest college coaching prospect into Nebraska, and then you fired him after three years. Who in their right mind is going to take that job? So yeah, that's I think, why I don't agree with Scott Frost even being on this list. Has he performed the way that Nebraska fans expect? No. But we also understand that Mike Riley, along with even Bo Pelini, put this program – I don't even think – I think it was Eric Chander and Scott Peterson put this program in a terrible position that there's a lot more rebuilding to do rather than just getting a new head coach. So I don't agree with Scott Frost being at number six. I think he should be in the top 30, maybe at maybe in like 25 to 30 range, you know, with, and the reason I brought up less miles is because there's a lot of faith in less miles at Kansas. I know we don't cover the big 12, but I think he should be right around the less miles era. Cause less miles didn't win a lot of football games, but people know like he's a damn good coach. Scott Frost is a damn good coach. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that's why, that's why I say, 10 or 11 because i think if you're outside of that 10 or that 10 mark or i'd say outside of the nine mark that way you can be 10 and above i think you still have at least another season to go with your team i think if you're under that 10 mark your that list is that you're pretty much saying this guy should be fired after this year if they do not meet expectations but then um going back to uh the harborough thing He's had way more time with his players, and they've only gotten mediocre and worse. And so Jim Harbaugh any- didn't take over Michigan in a state of unrest like Scott Frost took Nebraska over. He took Nebraska over after a four and eight season. After another, I think that we went like six and six the year before. Like our program is in shambles when Scott Frost took over. Scott Frost took over, and like eight people transferred immediately. Because they're used to Mike Riley just giving them whatever they want. And Scott Frost came in and said, absolutely not. This is how we play football. But you're saying for Scott Frost, he should be between the 10 and 15 mark. But in that 10 and 15 mark is Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. So you're saying Pat Fitzgerald's job is more secure than Scott Frost right now? No, I think Scott Frost is more secure. But then I think exactly. I think the other part of the hot seat that needs to get looked at too, that a lot of people don't look at, is... It's not just the head coach himself. It's the coaches around him, too. Because they're not going to put a this defensive coordinator hot list out. They're going to put a head coach hot list. Yeah. But who hires these, these coaches? Scott Frost. So I think putting them in that, in that 10 or 11 mark says, hey, like if your system isn't working, we still are going to give you another year, but we need you to change what's around you. And he's bringing that. someone that's better in. He fired Troy Walters. And Troy Walters was his boy at UCF. And he fired him and hired uh, what's his name? Lubbock, Lubbock, I think is his name. Matt Lubbock. I, I, I can't. Uh, yeah, that might be it. Yeah, that, the, he was a he was the co-offensive coordinator out of Washington. Um, because yep, our offense, uh, our offense definitely took a lot of flack last year because we did a lot of swing passes and they weren't working and we didn't have, you know, our wide receivers are five eleven, six foot. You know, we couldn't go down the field with them, but. You know, on third and eighteen, we throw a swing pass, and it'd be third and sixteen, or fourth and sixteen, and we'd be like, "Oh no, that didn't work for the fiftieth time this season." So, I, I don't know. I think Pat Fitzgerald um, out at Northwestern. I think if Northwestern performs on the ten game schedule, like two and eight or three and seven, I think he's gone immediately. Um, yeah, I, I, I know I mean, he's the golden boy to Northwestern. He's to Northwestern what Scott Frost is to Nebraska, but. Um, 
Northwestern was really good two years back. They they went to the the Big Ten conference game. So, I think yeah. uh, another coach on the hot seat too that's not get looked at is uh, University of Iowa's coach with all the stuff oh, that Kirk went Ferentz. on with him. Yeah, with all that stuff that went on with him and that that strength and conditioning coach. I think he's going to be an underlooked hot seat because. Uh, if that stuff continues to spill over into recruiting classes, it's not going to look well for him and stuff like that. And he's, he's been there forever. So, I mean, yep. him stepping down would be like a big thing, but it also wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think Scott Frost should be 10 or 11. I don't, I, I honestly, it doesn't matter where you pick Clay Helton. Cause like I said, he has the deal of a lifetime, so he's not going to be leaving anytime soon unless someone just donates a buttload of money and, uh, buys his contract out. Um, well, out there in L.A., they got the money. They do. Uh, and then Chip Kelly, I don't think, will be gone after this season. I think his contract is massive, too. Uh, the only thing you could really argue with him having a chance to leave is the fact that, one, that he hasn't performed as well as he should have, but two, they got a new athletic director in there. Uh, so maybe after this year, if uh, there is a football season, he is – starting to think hey i want to have my own coach in there not what the passive like director had in there um, and you see that throughout college sports no matter where you're at um with ad's wanting to bring in their guy to run these big programs that way they don't have to stress about it as much and they can also control him to some degree yeah so the other names that are on here uh north uh pat fitzgerald of northwestern at 14 um we got Mike Loxley of Maryland at number 19. Jeff Brom at Purdue at number 20. Um, Levy Smith at 21. And Dang, they got a lot of Big Ten coaches on there. I don't, I don't think that... David Shaw at 27 out of Stanford. Uh, David Shaw will never get fired from Stanford. He is like he is like a statue. There's like so <laughs> much... There's so much dependability on him in that at Stanford that they will they will not get rid of him. Like, if he were to leave, it'd be like him being like, eh, I think, you know, I did pretty shitty, and I think I'm just going to walk out. And they'll be like, okay, you know, we can agree on that. But it's never going to be like Stanford being like, hey, um, we have a bunch of geniuses at our school, and we don't give a shit about football, but you're sucking so bad that we're just going to kick you out. See, um, and that's the exact mentality I think Nebraska has with Scott Frost. Scott Frost has trophies. He's immortalized. His number is retired at Nebraska. I, I don't, don't. I don't. I. I don't argue any of that. Of that stuff. I'm just saying, as an outsider looking in, that he is on the hot seat to some degree. If I were a diehard fan, then yes, I would know the the history and the meaning behind him and stuff like that. I mean, I understand from what you say and when I look up, but it's it's that's why these hot seats are so different because these are outsiders looking in. And they're just making assumptions on things. Whereas if you have the actual like fans and athletic department bring it up, which will never happen, uh, the athletic department, but the fans, yes, uh, it's a it's a way different vibe yeah. on who they think is the coach on the hottest seat and who's not. Like I think Jim Harbaugh should be in the top five 100% because he is atrocious and hasn't done anything to really – solidify his spot at michigan he just has that history with michigan and even when he was at stanford he was butting heads with richard sherman one of the best corners of all time and that whole team and there was when he left it was more of like well thank god he left type of thing yeah. um well jim harbaugh has i think with jim harbaugh it, you want to talk about buyouts and money i think this is why is jim harbaugh has the third highest uh contract in college football at 7.6 million dollars a year so and the crazy thing is too is that private universities don't have to disclose their contracts so that's just the third highest with the public schools and then whatever private schools have actually disclosed their coaches contract that's the biggest thing with clay helton is usc doesn't have to disclose any of their finances and so no one knows what his contract actually is they just know it's a massive buyout from the insiders that have come and said stuff 3.25 million four Clay Helton, he's the. Yeah, that, that's just that's just his annual salary though. That's not his actual buyout. His buyout was something. I think it was like twenty something million dollars for his buyout. Yeah, but I mean, 
He's right under NC State, Louisville, and Vanderbilt's coach at three point two five. But yeah. But then, I mean, like I said, that's that's not the full disclosure of his salary. Because you no, you can no, go online you. to any public university and see their finances and stuff like that because it's all, it's what taxpayers use. That's what taxpayers pay. So you can see that's all, uh, information that's, uh, relevant to taxpayers. And so that's why you can see all that information. But those private universities, they'll disclose like part of the contract, mm-hmm. kind of like what they do with like these NFL players and stuff like that, where they say like the big numbers, but then they don't say everything else that goes with it, which is I I think is. Uh, crazy because you're only seeing part of what he's making you're not you're probably not seeing his endorsements his buyout obviously you're not seeing his buyouts and then uh whatever bonuses he gets for making certain points and stuff like that yeah so i don't know man i'll be interested to see how uh this season kind of plays into the hot seat and um you know 10 game schedules and then how they're going to take that into effect of, of firing coaches but yeah, man. I, you know, I. It's good to be back. Um, definitely gonna enjoy being back behind the mics with your brother. Definitely missed uh, discussing these college football rumors and stuff. And I hope in five weeks here that you know we can sit here and actually talk about some real football games going down, man. Or at but, least some like practices, even if they delay this. Yeah, a little bit, just just something workouts and all that, but. Hey, just a reminder, guys, follow us on uh, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter at any given Saturday CFB. Shoot us an email at any given Saturday CFB at gmail.com. And uh, if you guys want to come on the show or uh, get on there, if you're another podcast, we definitely love to plug you and get you in. Uh, just shoot us a line, shoot us an email. And uh, as always, it's good, good to be talking to you guys. And remember, stay safe out there and wear your mask. You out in public, please just wear your mask, please. But uh, that's pretty much all I got. So go big red. If you and make sure to leave us ratings. Uh, we'll go through and read them. And uh, you know, if you got a hilarious one to leave us, we'll uh, make sure to to save it and read it read it a couple of times for you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, follow us on our social media. Make sure you subscribe to our podcasts on uh, all the platforms that we're on. Uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple uh, Podcasts, and uh, oh man, what's the other one that we're on? Stitcher, Stitcher. Radio. Yep, yep we're on Radio. Stitcher. So those four platforms we're on. Um, I'm gonna look into trying to get on iHeartRadio and get into that. But uh, appreciate y'all and uh, keep giving us the listens because that's what gives us motivation to keep going. Right, go Big Red. Fight on.